So I think that that like, I don't know, that kind of geographic model can, you can put that anywhere in the country, probably. I'm sure that there's some rural destination outside of, um, you know, San Francisco or Dallas or Chicago, any, I would say like a really good bet right now, if you're looking on where to start an Airbnb, find those really populated areas and then go for some rural nature location within two hours out of that. And you will do just fine. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast, and I am Jason Muth. We're here once again with our resident legal expert, uh, attorney broker Rory Gill from Next Home Titletown Real Estate and Urban Village Legal here in Boston. Hey, Rory. Hey, Jason. And we have an amazing guest this week, somebody that I reached out to on social media because her videos were just hysterical <laughs> and relevant and, you know, all about short-term rentals, which, you know, if you're listening to this, you know that we talk a lot about short-term rentals on this podcast and we had to have her on. So we invited Natalie Palmer on podcast and I want to give her a big welcome. Welcome. Hi everybody. Natalie. Thank you. Hi guys. Thank you for having me. Oh no. Thank you for appearing. Um, we're, we're thrilled that you're on the podcast. I think you have such a wealth of information about short-term rentals and people that are just getting started in the space. And, you know, I mentioned it, uh, that your Instagram videos are just really funny. Like you have this. Well, thank you. I try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we, uh, we kid about dancing and pointing videos that, you know, neither Rory nor I, you know, are kind of, it's not really in, it's not yeah. neat to us to do that kind of stuff, but like, you do it really well and it's really great content. And, you know, it's not just the video, the captions, obviously you're spending a lot of time with the content that you're putting together and you have become, you know, quite the short-term rental Airbnb expert. Um, so, you know, I think I wanted to, you know, just let you introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, where you live, where you're operating and um, you are the Airbnb consultant and educator with Host with Natalie. Is that the name of the, that's the name of the website, right? Yes, correct. Okay. So hi everyone. Thank you again, Jason and Rory for having me. Um, my name is Natalie Palmer and I am an Airbnb host. Um, I just hit my 700th reservation been hosting for four years. And uh, just this year I started like putting stuff on Instagram, like Jason said, and it kind of took off. I was not expecting that many people to be interested in what I had to say about short-term rental, but um, it really took off. And I think I kind of realized that I know more about the short-term rental space than I thought I did. I think I was just hoarding information for the last three years and finally started putting it out there. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I have a course I'm running right now. And um, I'm glad you noticed my captions too, because I definitely tried to make the videos like quick and to the point, but I always try to elaborate and educate in the captions. So glad to hear people are reading those. Um, but yeah, I don't know, should I go into how I got started with Airbnb? Yeah, we'd love to hear that. You, so you, you've been doing it for three years, you said, or? So longer? my four year mark will be this December. Um, okay. so yeah, pretty much been and hosting for four years. Are you exclusively on Airbnb? Yes. Yes. Um, I and that kind of happened by accident. Um, I will say when I launched the first listing, I had intended that in a couple months I would go put it on VRBO, but I figured like, I just want to get it out there and start renting already. And if I 
plan to be on every platform and learn every platform. I'm never going to get it done. And with Airbnb, we just instantly had such good bookings and occupancy rate that I pretty much kept it on there. And since then, um, I think I've just developed a relationship with Airbnb. I actually now serve as an Airbnb ambassador. So I run webinars and stuff for Airbnb. I don't work for them, but I'm kind of, I don't know, like an independent contractor and I'm brought on to help onboard new hosts. And at this point, I'm so loyal to them. I don't think I would go on VRBO, but I, I do work with a lot of hosts that are on multiple OTAs, online travel agencies. And I think my philosophy kind of morphed into, like I said, I had initially planned on going on to VRBO as well, but I think I realized that there is kind of an edge when you really dominate one platform, whatever it might be, but you end up higher in search rankings. All of your reviews stay on that one platform and you can just really dominate the one rather than, I don't know if I can curse here, but rather than half-assing two, two platforms, I'd rather be like the top of one. But again, I work with a lot of hosts that are on multiple platforms. And I think for some people, it's a great strategy, strategy to diversify like that. But we've just always had a lot of success being exclusively on Airbnb. Now, as an Airbnb ambassador, because when I, I saw that on your website, I was super interested. And I'm like, why haven't they asked me to be an Airbnb ambassador? <laughs> like, how did that happen? I truly, to this day, still don't know. Um, they reached out and I think they were launching the ambassador program last summer. And at that point, they recruited, I think there was 30 of us worldwide. And I think it was based on location. There was about 30 in or 10 in Australia. 10 in Southern California, which is where I am, and another 10 in like New York. And I think that those were three locations that were doing really well during COVID. So I think that they thought to themselves that if these places are pandemic proof, let's start with reaching out to people there. Um, so I think I just kind of lucky with the location I was in, but honestly, I never filled out an application or anything. So still to this day, it's a mystery to me how I, how I got recruited. Well, good for you. Congratulations for being recruited for that. And I'm Thank you. Jealous, but I'm glad you didn't mention Boston on that list because then I would have been super jealous saying like- Boston was not on the list, I can assure right, you. Well, good, perfect. So you mentioned California. So you're out in California. I know your, your Airbnbs are in Big Bear, California, yes. which I've never been to. I've been to California a lot, but I had to look up Big Bear. It looks like it's close to Palm Springs and LA. Like, you know, you go through the valley and you're going to the mountains. Is that basically where it is? Yes, correct. Yeah. So we did really, really well during COVID. Um, so Big Bear is uh, less than two hours from LA, OC, and San Diego. We are the like premier ski resort in Southern California. If you go Northern, you have uh, Tahoe and Mammoth, but we pretty much dominate the whole LA, Orange County and San Diego market. So I think we did really well during COVID. Um, actually, interestingly enough, California as a whole was down 6% last year on Airbnb and uh, Palm Springs, Big Bear and Santa Barbara were up over 300%. Oh, wow. I think it was because people in LA, OC, and San Diego who were not able to fly or too fearful to fly, or there was too many restrictions, they still wanted to get out. And those three places were just driving distance of such populated area, which now that's kind of changed um, my strategy too. When I do consultations with new hosts that are looking for where to go, I always say, 
just because we never know if this can happen again, another mass lockdown or something, avoid areas like, you know, Orlando or something right by Disney World or Vegas, where they can very easily shut down the whole strip. Things in nature, things by national parks that are driving distance from a super populated area, I think is the way to go. That is fantastic advice. That's the same thing that we found also, you know, here mm-hmm. in Boston. Have you ever been to Boston or the East No, Coast? I haven't. No? Okay. All right. You don't want to come today. It's really, it's, we're having like a nor'easter, which is a big rainstorm that comes through uh, and lasts for a couple of days. But, okay, uh, I won't come been, today. <laughs> we've had a great stretch of weather. Uh, yeah, yeah, but don't come today. We've had a great stretch of weather this year. And, uh, you know, with the COVID lockdowns last year, yeah, I don't know if you saw the same thing, but like we, I had full calendars at yep. the places we were booking last year. They all kind of opened wide up again, you know, like last March, March of 20, I had the, the whole summer booked and then, you know, everybody had to cancel uh, or we couldn't rent, you know, cause yeah. of local uh, restrictions. And then suddenly everything rebooked again, you know, and it booked just consistently, it booked, you know, feverishly, it booked at high rates, it booked with high occupancy. Yeah. Um, our places, the ones in New Hampshire are under two hour drive from downtown Boston. And the one in Provincetown is just over two hours. Uh, it's on the tip of Cape Cod. And yeah. It's the first destination. Yeah, so. yeah, there you go. So I think that that like, I don't know, that kind of geographic model can, you can put that anywhere in the country, probably. I'm sure that there's some rural destination outside of, um, you know, San Francisco or Dallas or Chicago, any, I would say like a really good bet right now, if you're looking on where to start an Airbnb, find those really populated areas and then go for some rural nature location within two hours out of that. And you will do just fine. Anybody listening, that's the first big takeaway and first big advice that I've, I've heard out there. And I was going to say, in the, during the COVID trends, we noticed a change in where our guests were coming from. Uh, Pre-COVID, we had um, kind of a disparate nature of people coming from all over the country, uh, Canada, and some from Europe. And that travel obviously largely went away, but we've yeah. been doing great with the, the fairly local people. So the people who are within the three-hour drive, I think, as you're suggesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had the exact same thing. And I actually just saw stats um, on my area. It says right now, 87% of my travelers are within like 150 miles. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I used to get a lot of like people from China and um, Costa Rica and all over the world. And yeah, I mean, we still do. It's 87% is local. So there's still that 13%, but it definitely shifted. It sounds like you've done some good analysis on your guests as well. I love numbers. numbers. Yes, yes. I actually like really, um, I think I got into Airbnb more so because I was intrigued by the like hospitality side of it and just communicating with guests. Um, I like interior design and that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, I actually have a business degree, which I've never even used. Um, But I think that I kind of found out like, oh, yeah, there's a reason I went into business. This makes sense now. I do like looking at these numbers and all the analytics on that. Yeah, I, I would argue you are using your business degree right now. No one asks to see the diploma, but you know, somewhere in the back of my mind that, that knowledge yeah. is there. But you know, I mean, nobody went to school for this, right? I mean, I guess you yeah. can go to school for hospitality, but a lot of Airbnb hosts kind of find their way into the space mm-hmm. um, instead of studying it. Maybe there are some colleges and universities out there that have courses in this now. And if so, and you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast to find out more about what you're teaching. But this is very much a, a learn on the job 
endeavor or, yeah. or learn from you. We're going to release this probably after your course, your first course is coming out. But before we started recording this, you were telling us that you're almost fully sold out for the course that you have coming up. You're going to repeat this multiple times. Like what, what got you into becoming an Airbnb coach? So again, that kind of happened by accident. Everything I feel like happened by accident, even me starting the first Airbnb. Um, but yeah, so the course came from, um, like I said earlier, I just started putting stuff out on Instagram related to short-term rental and it got so much more interest than I, than I thought it would. And I was just getting messages from people asking if there was you know, some way they could do a consultation with me, which I do offer one-on-one -on -one consultations. If anybody wants to, you can um, maybe put in the show notes or something mm -hmm. like a link to my website and you can book there. But really, um, I found that the one-on-ones are hard to you know, scale and it takes so much energy to devote like one-on-one -on -one to a person. I still do those, but I wanted something that I could like get all the basics down about how to start that Airbnb and like be able to help everybody in one go. So um, actually November 8th through 12th, which like we said, I think this will come out after, but that's actually the second round of me running the same course. Um, and then I probably will repeat it like every quarter. Um, mm -hmm. And the information basically is a five day course where each day I go into a different topic of like something essential to the Airbnb business. So one day we cover finances um, and expenses. Second day we go all into location and all the legal steps of making sure you're doing everything by the book. Um, a third day we go into design and hospitality. Um, a fourth day is all about automation and hosting remotely. And um, the fifth day is just an open-ended Q&A for the students. So they can still get that one-on-one -on -one support that they'd be getting in a one-on-one -on -one consultation. And if you, have you followed your guests or your uh, students from the past one? The, the first yeah. Yeah. So from that first round, I've already had five of them um, publish their listings and host their first guest. So um, a lot of other people took it in the very early stages where I think they're still picking their property. So hopefully it's a journey that I can like follow you know, the students for a year, if that's what it takes and, and follow along their progress. Um, you know, it's so different. Some people already have a property in the family that they could list right away. Some people are starting from ground zero and have to save up and they sign up for the course just to get a feel for the numbers. So everybody in there is kind of coming from a different perspective, but yeah, I would love to like really follow along and stay in touch with everybody as they go through, through the journey. Now you're doing this full time, right? Yes. Yeah. So I was already doing Airbnbs full time. Um, and then I basically got everything to be so scaled um, or so systemized that really all the Airbnbs, I um, probably take me like less than an hour a day to mm -hmm. just manage and communicate with guests, communicate with the cleaner. So I kind of figured I had to do something else with all that extra time. So yeah, kind yeah. of jumped into the consultation and, and course side of it. But what a great problem to have, you know, that you build systems up and you scale your business to the point yeah. that, it, you know, it never runs itself. No, Rory can no. Rory attest to it also. Like, I mean, you know, Rory, maybe talk about the division of labor that the two of us have with our Airbnbs. And I'm sure, Natalie, you could relate to some of this with your husband as well. Yeah. Well, I laughed about how earlier you said that Rory is your resident handyman. That's my dad. So you yeah. do, it, you know, definitely it's, it's important to have those pieces in place, but yeah, Rory, I'll let you elaborate. No, I mean, we have to take responsibility for the whole thing. And just overall, we've found that 
when you get a new property and get it up for Airbnb, that almost the first year that you're working on that one, um, it doesn't, you know, if, if you're breaking even financially, it's one thing. And then just the amount of time that it takes to perfect the systems yeah. um, on that one place is it's just a lot, but um, we've settled into, you know, a good division of labor where Jason has the systems down for, you know, for, for marketing the property. Granted, the, the platforms carry a lot of that, but messaging the guests, making sure that they have a good experience, making sure that, you know, they know the codes and all their questions are answered. And he's, he's great at that because just my personality, I would, I would just give them that information and not flower anything up, but he, he knows how to make it a much more welcoming experience. But when it comes down to, you know, filing the taxes, doing the handiwork, making sure that, you know, we're keeping to our mission and we're not over-decorating the place. Um, that's, that's where I come in. Yeah, I love that. Um, there's definitely that fine balance between, you know, um, I always like to stress too that with short-term rental, I think there's a really fine balance between the hospitality side and putting guests first and also running it as a business. And even myself with the different owners that I co-manage for, I have a spectrum of owners that some of them are more on like the penny pinching side and they don't see how putting guests first in some cases will come back to them. Um, they don't want to invest in better quality mattresses or whatever it might be. And then I have uh, owners on the other spectrum that want to just splurge on every little detail. And it's like, okay, scale back, like guests do not need all of that. You're still trying to make a profit. So yeah, there is, it's good if you can have two people that are helping who both can master the different sides of it and help you find that balance. It's, you know, every time Jason suggests something new, I, the question I always fire back is, you know, is this going to improve our bookings or our per night rate? Uh, and at the rate doesn't, then, you know, it's not necessarily helpful. Um, but, you know, I feel a little, you know, intimidating asking a, a real expert um, about some of these things, but what, you know, what are some of the things that you can do like in a streamlined basis to give that guest experience to somebody, um, but without breaking the bank or without making it become so more importantly, so time consuming um, that you can't replicate it week after week? Okay. So right off the bat, I'll go into some like design things because this I think is what really will help the place get booked. This is the first thing people notice with the photos and stuff. Um, I think that the best things you can do, like most bang for your buck, um, is probably painting. Most people do not want to admit that they could probably use a new paint job. And I think painting just a whole fresh coat goes a very long way. Also invest in the professional photographer. I think it is totally fine if you are in a crunch right before like a peak season is coming up or something. The iPhone photos will get you through a little bit, but as soon as you can reinvest money into a professional photographer, do it. It will seriously come back to you tenfold. So paint a professional photographer. And another thing too, is just decluttering. Um, I think a lot of people, when they start shopping for things, um, they, I don't know, it's like they come up with a theme or a color scheme and every single thing they see that matches, they grab it. No guess. Like, first of all, all that stuff is going to get dusty. So it's harder to maintain and keep it clean, but all the centerpieces and stuff, as soon as guests get comfy, if you have all these things on your coffee table, they're going to move it all out of the way and kick their feet up anyway. So, um, I'm not saying go bland with it, but you can probably remove easily 20% of the little trinkets and stuff that you have and the, it will be just fine. Yeah. I mean, trinkets don't sell places, but no. you know, spectacular elements that maybe are Instagrammable, those things 
do. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I love when I see Airbnbs that have a like mural painted behind the bed or something. Uh, I always tell new hosts too to try and design the place around like one moment that is going to be the cover photo on the Airbnb. So, you know, if you can paint and this does not have to be expensive at all, but painting like an accent wall or putting a wallpaper behind the um, master bed or in your behind your dining table. Uh, maybe if your place has a really cool fireplace feature or um, you know, your kitchen has these really great floating shelves and brand new tile backsplash, like pick that one thing that's going to stand out. And that's the cover photo that gets people in. As long as the rest of the photos after that look clean and consistent and bright and light and the reviews are good, you will get booked. Um, well, thank you for saying that. That makes you feel great after a weekend of um, putting up bold wallpaper behind the, a bed in a new Airbnb yes. and Jason spent the weekend tiling the, uh, the wall. So that makes us feel... Well, Rory, I pulled the picture up of the stenciling project. I have to show that. I don't know if it's going to translate on this, but this is our daughter and this is the stenciling that I did. Oh my God. Can you see that? I love so it. Did, yeah, we did a stenciling project on uh, a fake fireplace. Okay. I, I thought it looked terrible uh, as a fake fireplace and, or just the background is fake. It's not yeah. a brick. But instead of taking it down, we just stenciled it. And I was like, this is Instagrammable. I think it's going to look perfect. It is. And that's yeah. the thing. People do not want to stay in a place that feels like home. You're going on vacation. You want that thing that stands out. And I mean, whatever it is, like if, if you have the guts to paint a bathroom pink or something and make it work, like, you know, go for it because this is the, this is the place it may be in your own home that would drive you crazy, but this is where people want to stay in something different. And those are the photos that become eye catching on the platform. And check out the wallpaper. This is what Rory did. Oh, that's so cool. Is that awesome? Yes. So we'll, give a, we'll, we'll give a plug to Spoonflower, which is where <laughs> we got this from. It's uh, an Etsy store or they have a separate standalone, but you know, it's coral and it's, it's uh, self-adhesive and, and he spent time uh, doing that. So we have accent walls in two rooms on the new Airbnb. So most of the listings in your area, your competitors, what is the design that they have? Are these like rural it, kind of mountainy yeah. places or? There are two different varieties that are up there that we see. So we see um, the the model that my parents did. They used to have an Airbnb, and they're not listening to this anyway, so I can go into, into some <laughs> details. Um, but they they decorated like a cute small home that like made for a great Airbnb property as a layout, but they decorated it as if it were somebody's home or a mm -hmm. long-term rental. Um, so it didn't really kind of pop in listings they they did well with um per night bookings but they um but it was the aesthetic was kind of it was nice it was clean it was well cared for but they, they didn't have the same bold elements that you would they had a couple good um lakefront elements in there um but it didn't jump in that regard and then the other aesthetic that we see up there are just leaning into um kind of the rural woodsiness of it and with one of our airbnbs that is the that's the direction that we took um mm -hmm. i think it made sense actually for a larger home that just that one to accommodate the groups that are looking for the woodsy home. Yeah. But with a new one, we're taking a hard tack in a different direction thinking, you know, we keep using the word Instagrammable, but that's yeah. the direction we want to go with this particular property, which is a, a little bit smaller. So we're making up for the, the small size with kind of the, the bold aesthetic. I think actually what you came up with is perfect because the bigger properties usually get a whole group together of people that, there's so many different tastes that it might be the safer bet to just go with what you know does well in the area. 
But for those small ones, when you're trying, you know, when there's so many different places that appeal to a small family or a couple, then that's where you really want to stand out because there you have so much competition. So I think, yeah, I don't know if that was by design or it just kind of fell into it that way, but I think that you guys have a perfect strategy going forward. Oh, we fell into it completely by mistake, but (laughs) we really did. I mean, like five years ago, we did the first one, which, you know, the joke is that we stayed in Rory's parents' Airbnb. We should say they have a place up at the same lake that we're all on, right? And they're going to retire up there. Um, So they had a house a couple doors down that they rented out. Um, They would have benefited from your course immensely. I could already tell you because they did a lot of, they're not listening to this. So we could say they did a lot of wrong things. Like, you know, they were very involved in the guests. They did the cleanings in between guests. And I'm like, this is just, that's a pain in the butt. They didn't charge the right amount. You know, they charged Mm -hmm. too little. And we stayed on the bed and it was the least comfortable bed I've ever slept on to the point that I said to Rory, I'm like, I'm never going to sleep in this bed again. And we walked down the street just on one of the walks and happened to see a house for sale. And I'm like, let's go take a look at the place. And, you know, we owned it six months later, four months later, right? Yeah, for the yep. offering that summer. So, um, and the first thing we did, and, and Rory gives me grief on this, but I was completely right, is um, the house had these two fireplaces that were brick and they looked old. And I said, those need to get resurfaced. So let me get some lake stones and veneers. I got a mason, I bought the stone. It was like a $5,000 project, but it was worth every penny. And it, it looked amazing. It's, it's the, it is what you see when you walk in. Um, yeah. And then everything else that we did, talk about coats of paint. I mean, the couple that mm-hmm. owned it kept it in such great condition, but it looked like it was a 60 year old house. Mm-hmm. So the rooms were peach or rose or yellow. And we made it all neutrals, woodsy, redid the flooring, like, you know, just all these, all these things that have paid off in spades over the years. Yeah. That property, the first year that we did it versus now, like this past year, we've doubled bookings versus that first year, doubled revenue versus that first year. And, you know, we think that the sky's the limit. That's why we're doing more of them up there. Yeah. Once you start one, you'll see how addicting it becomes. <laughs> you, you can't stop scaling after that. Yeah, scaling, and you've mentioned scaling a couple times. So like, how are you scaling? Or what are some things that you recommend to your students? Um, you're not cleaning these places yourself, but you are checking on them, right? Um, okay, so I actually live two hours away from all of these properties. So I do not personally check them between every booking. Um, my system is that my cleaner, she is the one that does all of the cleanings and she will report to me any damages or anything that I need to file a claim with the Airbnb app which is very rare, by the way. I always want to say that because I know a lot of people hesitant to get into short-term rental. It's because they're scared of damages. Uh, Me personally, in 700 reservations, I have only filed a claim for damages four times. So do not let that be the thing that holds you back. But yeah, my cleaner is the one who will let me know about those things. And she also tells me when we are running low on supplies, toilet paper, shampoo, whatever. And at that point, I go up myself to the properties once a month. So I will go do like a Costco Sam's Club run and grab everything in bulk, bring it up, and I restock all the units in one day. And that's pretty much it. So I am only hands-on myself one day. Um, And then other than that, everything is from my phone, messaging guests, uh, scheduling the cleaner, doing the pricing. You know, if if my cleaner lets me know something that, uh, whatever it might be, the, you know, pilot light on one of the stove burners isn't working, then I have a handyman I can send out. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much how I, I manage everything remotely. What about you guys? Do you have a property management company or do you live close enough to where you're doing it or how does that work? Rory, that sounds an awful lot like us, doesn't it? We've got some systems that are coming into place, but we realized with our Airbnb, we have 
them in two very different directions. So what one is on in Provincetown and Cape Cod, the other in New Hampshire, which are two hours in opposite directions, which means that we have um, two different teams of people that we have to to work with for each of them. So it's a little bit less efficient. But mm-hmm. in both places, we do our own management in the sen- in the sense that we manage our own guests, do the bookings, do the calendar, do the messaging. But we have cleaners at each of the places that that handle things. And in Provincetown, we have a property management company that's available in, in case of emergency, which is a big help, you know, or they check on it in the off season in the wintertime when uh, we have less guests there. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But Costco runs like, you know, so we have BJ's Wholesale mm-hmm. out here, which is very okay. similar to Costco. They're actually a Massachusetts company. So we've been oh. numbers for a long time. But Rory jokes that like whenever I'm driving to wherever we're going, like the car is stuffed to the brim, filled with stuff. Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, you, you know, there's some things that, so when the pandemic hit and you couldn't find toilet paper, you couldn't find yeah. Lysol wipes, you couldn't find uh, paper towels. I almost... I felt so not quite guilty, but I had so much of it hoarded already, not knowing a pandemic was about to hit. Yeah. I probably at the time owned 200 rolls of toilet paper, if not more. Yeah. So I could have sold this stuff if I wanted to, but I'm like, I need it. But that's when I started locking it away. Yes. You know, we keep keep it in the owner's closet. um, But, you know... I haven't had, I don't think I've had too much stuff stolen from the places. I mean, you know, we've been doing, the longest one's been five years and, you know, I'm sure people might take a garbage bag or two, but I don't leave out, I leave out supplies and I think people respect that. Like, I don't think people are stealing my Tide Pods and Cascade, you know, dishwasher tablets or anything. Maybe they are and if they need it, they could have it, but. I did have one theft ever of my Airbnb and it was like my seventh guest ever. And they did take, at that point we weren't locking supplies and they did take like all my toilet paper, all my paper towels, all wow. my trash bags, like they took everything. Um, so then I'm actually in hindsight grateful for it because being a couple hours away, it, I think that that's what prompted me to be, like, okay, I can't, if I'm going to do this, I can't just be doing everything, like hoping for the best. I have to have things set up in place. So that's when we got the locked supply closet and built all that out and came up with how often we're refilling things. So yeah, that was pretty early on, but you know, you learn from it. So like, how did you react when you found that out? Like, did you reach out to the guests? I did reach out to the guests and they, I mean, I could immediately tell that they like knew they weren't supposed to take that much, you know, and they didn't like admit guilt, but they also weren't saying like, oh my gosh, we thought it was all free. It was just the way I, I, it was already four years ago. So I don't remember the exact wording, but it was, uh, I don't know. And I'm with you, like a few extra trash bags gone, you know, it's like if people are taking it because they, whatever, might get car sick on the drive down, like go for it, take that with you. I don't care. But this one was so like crossing the line. Um, So I kind of gave them a chance to explain themselves, but they didn't really say anything that ended up being one of the four times that I did file a claim. Um, And yeah, I just submitted receipts to Airbnb and and we got reimbursed for it. Do you have any um, advice for people on guest quality? Um, Either reviewing people in a negative fashion after the fact, or just any tips on making sure that you get the right guests that are going to take care of your property? Yeah. So the biggest thing I would say, um, one is a lot of hosts I see are very 
okay, I'm going to contradict myself a little here, but I see a lot of hosts are very nervous to rent out to first time users of the platform that don't have reviews yet or anything, or just created an account. I really have not noticed a pattern that new users are worse guests. I have had times where somebody had five, five-star reviews and they ended up you know, maybe the other five times they were traveling with family, but this time they came for a bachelor party. So it was very different. Yeah. I, I actually would not recommend trying to like pre vet the guests based on some sort of criteria. Cause it's very hard for me personally to identify patterns like that. Um, I would say more so it's about how you set up the property. Um, so again, like we talked about removing trinkets and stuff like the more things you can get out, the less breakage you're going to have. You know, things like a fabric sofa. If you have something that you think is going to get stained, move over to a leather or a faux leather sofa instead. I think I'm now so more of the mindset where I know sometimes guests will come in and they're not going to treat it as well as I do. But if you can kind of guest proof the place in a little bit, in a way, uh, like one learning lesson I had was in the early days, we provided Tupperware. And guests would, you know, cook all this stuff on the first or second night and pack leftovers. And even guests who were really clean and did all the dishes after themselves and stuff, they would just honestly forget that there was all this Tupperware in the fridge. My cleaner ended up having to spend 30 minutes or whatever emptying Tupperware, washing it by hand because the dishwasher was running. We just took out the Tupperware. And I figured for a short-term rental, you don't need to be packing up leftovers. So I think just things like that, like if you can think a step ahead, um, you know, providing like paper plates is good too, because a lot of people are going to have breakfast the morning before they go. And those might be the last couple dishes that are left in the sink to wash by hand. So just give some paper plates so they can take it with them. So yeah, I'm less so, unless a guest really has like bad previous reviews, then, or, you know, if there's something where they're not using their real name or they refuse to upload their photo ID, if, but if I don't get like a blatant red flag like that, I'm more so of the mindset that I've kind of guest proofed my place to the point where I'm pretty much comfortable accepting anyone. You could learn a lot from the messages and the communication yes. that you get from people, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that also comes with time, but you get like a sixth sense for how to pick up on these little red flags. It's crazy. But every time I have had a difficult guest, maybe not every time, but I'll say 90%, I can look back and say, I had a gut feeling about that one and I should have listened to it. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. Like the one, the worst review I've gotten in either property, I've had two reviews removed at my request. Yeah. One took a lot of asking and asking and asking, but the other one was really simple. Like one, I remember a couple of years ago, like somebody said the place smelled weird and I'm like, I had to call Airbnb and I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. Look at every other review that I have. And there's no indication about this. And I was just there. Yeah. They, they, they took my word for that. The other one, like it took a lot longer for me to get that one removed. But like that guest I knew was going to leave a bad review. Like, I don't know how, how you feel about this, but I, at this point, I have so many reviews and so many good reviews that I actually never initiate the review. Like I always wait for somebody to review the property before mm -hmm. I respond with a review because I don't know, like, I feel like if I initiate the review, like if my cleaner says everything was fine, I initiate like a standard, you know, five-star review, great guest, good communication, yeah. whatever. 
like I don't feel like I need to invite them to review my place because I already have so many good reviews. Maybe that's like a fallacy because I do still need to keep qualifying for Superhost and all these great like, you know, benefits that you get with that. But I always kind of wait for them to review me. And sometimes like, you know, you get that email saying, you know, Susie's reviewed your place. And you're like, oh, all right. Well, I hope there's always like your heart skips a beat for one second until you open yep. it. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Like I just had another like, you know, you know, last review for Michael, last chance to review Michael. And like, I'm like, I don't really remember Michael. So I'm not going to review him. And then, you know, they revealed his review to me today and it was a good review. And then, yeah. Boom. Yeah, it's you just it's like a pit of your stomach also. And then sometimes you just get like the most glowing review from somebody that you're like, I barely talked to this person, but apparently it'll be a good Yeah. Experience. I know. It's- I will say for me, I do um I do leave reviews for all the guests, but what I don't do is I know a lot of hosts swear by this, but I don't send like a message asking for a five star review or asking for a review. Um, I know a lot of hosts are big fans of like the night before checkout, asking, prompting them for something. After you check out tomorrow, you'll get a message asking to leave a review. We'd love a five-star review. I don't like doing that. Um, I think, you know, at that point, if if they have something to say, good or negative, they will leave it either way. And I don't need to like convince the person who's just going to leave like a three or four-star review. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't prompt it in that way, but I do leave reviews for the guests. Um, but I don't know, maybe I should try test out your strategy and see like, if not prompting, if not leaving, it doesn't prompt it. Um, yeah. If an email goes out, like if you review them, it says, you know, that now yeah. reviewed you as a guest, but I've never solicited, you know, maybe a handful of times, like early on, I've kind of asked people like, Hey, do you, if you, if you had a great experience, would you mind reviewing the place? Like back when I was getting the second one up and running, yeah. Um, now that we have the third one, which we're hoping to have live by the end of the year, you know, I've employed this strategy. I don't know how legitimate this is, but, um, you know, we've had friends stay in our place and book it on Airbnb, you know, have yes. discounted so they could review it like early on I just think, to get something going. Yes. Yeah. I actually love doing that. And also, um, it's, that's such a good strategy too, because you can present it to your friend or family as Hey, you know, I'm going to give you just, I think the cheapest you can do on Airbnb is what? $10 a night yeah, or, something. or something. Yeah. So you can say, I'm just going to give it to you really cheap, but we, we want the review. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to book it to you through here. But I also really like doing that because even if it is your best friend in the world, you never know, like, are they going to be the ones who break something? And it's so, you know, I would hate to have to do this, but I would like knowing that I had Airbnb as a backup if I ever needed to if you gave it to like a coworker or something um just having that backup that you do have some sort of process where you can like charge them more and it wasn't just done over venmo so yeah i do like actually making friends or coworkers or someone book through the airbnb app and just present it in a way that's not like you think they're going to do anything wrong but like oh it will help me with the review so put it like that but you know you have that fail safe if something does go wrong yeah and, you know, if, if anyone from Airbnb is listening to this or saying, oh, you know, he's got these illegitimate reviews, like all ours are on the up and up. In fact, even the early, early ones. They still make their commission off of those cheap ones. They, so that- they do. And, and plus our friends still stayed there. So it's like, yeah. they didn't like have somebody book it and then not go there and write something yeah. false. I'm like, hey, book it and go enjoy it or something or come yeah. with us, right? You know, and then let us know what you think of the place. Let's talk about a couple things. Uh, pets. What's your policy on that? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'm kind of, so I have no pet policy, but I pretty much give exemptions to anybody who asks. And my philosophy on this sort of was, uh, I don't want to advertise it outright for pets because if anybody has a pet that like 
isn't house trained or sheds a lot, they probably just will overlook my property. But sometimes I do have people reach out and say, is there any way you can make an exception? Our pet is, you know, house trained and barely sheds and hypoallergenic. So to me, I feel like if they are taking the time to reach out, even though it says no pets, then I trust that pet and that owner. So I still do charge a pet fee in those cases. Uh, but yeah, I pretty much make exceptions to anyone who asks. Um, so I guess I am pet friendly, but like if you were to filter my property by that, I would not pop up. My rule of thought on that is being pet friendly has, I feel like gotten us a lot more bookings than other people because yeah. especially in Provincetown, you know, our place is on the uh, first floor and then below grade is where the bedrooms are and the uh, bathroom. So it's like a, a cement tile floor that I have carpet tiles on that could easily be cleaned. Okay. And I think it's fine for pets to be there. My other place, the one in Air, the one in New Hampshire, Rory and I are actually just getting the whole place recarpeted after five years because it's we need it. But you know, it's five yeah. years. It's investing in the place. You know, I did buy a carpet cleaner, a big green machine there. Yeah. Like, you know, the ones you rent at the grocery store. Yeah. We actually bought one and we use it and we're using it a little more regularly, or at least our, our cleaner is. So we decided to upgrade the carpeting in that one. But I feel like it's gotten us more. Uh, money than grief in being pet friendly. We advertise not being cat friendly because I am allergic and we do use the places ourselves, but I mm -hmm. always make exceptions when people ask. So just like you, yeah. I just had somebody this weekend say, hey, you know, would you mind if like our cat came and it's like a four or five night booking or something in Provincetown, the off season. And I'm like, I'll take the money. Like I'll yeah. be there in a couple of weeks. I'll take an allergy pill. Like I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Apparently we had a, what did we have? In New Hampshire, Rory, your father said that he saw a hawk, a pet hawk or something. Something. Oh, so one of our guests apparently had a pet hawk or a pet raven that he was walking around the street with. So that was, yeah. I guess, pet our, pet <laughs> our, our pet policy wasn't entirely clear, but I guess we had a hawk staying at the house. Yeah, I had a parrot snuck into one of my listings. Um, and that one was just funny because I they didn't ask me beforehand. So I do get peeved off when they don't ask beforehand. Um, and my cleaner actually said that as she was leaving, they walked in with a parrot. So I messaged them about it and they were nice. I ended up letting them because it was like, what are you going to do? Put the parrot, the parrot's already here, right? So I'm not going to make you drive down or put it outside in the snow. But I just asked like, oh, you know, this is actually um, a unit that I managed for another owner. Maybe if it was my own, I'd be a little more lenient. But, um, you know, since it's for another owner, please make sure it's not like flying around or doesn't get caught in a ceiling fan or anything. And then the girl responded and she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess we can bring the cage in from the car. And at that point I was like, oh my God, were you not going to have the parrot cage? Like I had to <laughs> tell you this. this yeah. yeah. I mean, when they checked out, the cleaner said everything was fine, but I, there was like a little heart attack there of like, why did I have to tell you to bring the cage? <laughs> like what? Um, but I, I wanted to add something too, really quick that it's, yeah. I think it's actually good that you are advertising as pet friendly. Um, Airbnb just released about a month ago uh, a list of the top 10 most searched, uh, most filtered by amenities on the platform and pet friendly, I believe was number two or three. Mm -hmm. So if anyone listening is willing to be pet friendly, uh, yes, take advantage of that and mark yourself off as that because there's a huge demand that people are looking for pet friendly listings. 
Yeah. And, you know, we had a dog. She passed away last year, but she always came and traveled with us. Um, yeah. And, you know, she was older and, you know, we have her in the pictures, you know, for one of our Airbnb properties. So, you know, we, we appreciate pet friendliness. Plus, Provincetown is a very pet friendly place. Mm-hmm. And just like you, I, I've noticed that when people are doing driving vacations, you know, within a couple hours of a major city, a lot of times they want to bring the family dog, you know, so. Especially you know, now. Yeah, because travel has changed. Everybody, we're getting longer stays, weekday stays of people who are working from home for the week and asking for good Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are doing school online and they can come and do it all remotely. So in those cases, those people really want to bring their pets. And you can charge a pet fee too, because keep in mind that they, the alternative is that they would put it in a kennel or in like a doggy daycare somewhere in the area, which they'd be paying for. So you can still charge a pet fee even if you are pet friendly. So on Airbnb, let me, this is a legit question because I know on Verbo, like if they have a pet, because we do Verbo and Airbnb, if they have a pet okay. Verbo, it automatically goes on. But on Airbnb, can you automatically have the fee go on or do you have to? No. Yeah, yeah. You have to add it after through the resolution center. Which and is I frustrating. Always, I always forget, <laughs> but you know what I usually do? Like I, if they ask about it, I usually wave it as they get closer to then make them delighted and be like, oh, that's so nice of you. You know, it's like I have a $75 pet fee, I say for the for the stay. And then, you know, more times than not, if it's, if you're booking through Airbnb, I won't charge you, but I'll probably take credit for not charging you and saying, oh, you know, go enjoy dinner at some local restaurant or something. That's really yeah. smart. Yeah, yeah, because it's such an unofficial thing and every owner has a different idea of a fair pet fee. So that's a good idea. Like put it up in there upfront and that way they agree to it. And you know that they are like serious and are going to be well-behaved with the pet, but when you wave it and you get to come in as the, as the good guy, as the good guy. Yeah. And yeah. Corey jokes at me that I'm always throwing money away. Like, because you know, our place in Provincetown was going through a couple plumbing issues like last year before we knock wood, got everything resolved. Um, and it's only one bathroom. So it made a couple little challenges and I had some mm. patient guests, but I was always throwing money at them. Like he, you know, here's a hundred bucks. Like go get a nice dinner or something. Once I had, um, I had a snake in our place. I don't know how it got. Oh my there. gosh! Wait, like someone brought a pet snake, or it like no, snuck no, in? No, no. Like I got a picture uh, from, of a snake being like, "Hey, are these guys native to here?" And I was like, "Oh my god, you're!" I literally wrote back, "Oh my god, are you kidding me? Is that downstairs?" And like, I called, I called the guest. The guests weren't scared. And they just sent the no, picture. No, he was like, really cool. He was like, "Oh, he's just a little guy. Like, we'll let him outside." I'm like, "That's cool." I'm like, "Here's fifty bucks. Go." <laughs> But I was mortified. I was like, how on earth is there a snake there? But I guess there's snakes native to the Cape and they're not poisonous. Oh my gosh. This uh, actually just reminded me one time, um, side note, but this is a funny story. Um, I had somebody who complained that there was a cockroach in my place and they took a picture of a cockroach sitting on the kitchen counter and same thing. I was absolutely mortified and I texted my cleaner and asked her, you know, you were just there. Did you see a cockroach or anything? And my cleaner is local to Big Bear. And she replied and she's like, oh, they're lying. Roaches don't live up here. And I'm like, what the heck? Roaches have survived every apocalypse, you know, like they'll live anywhere. But she was like, no, look it up. They don't survive in elevation above like 6,000 feet, I think. And we're at like 7,000. And I looked it up and it was like, sure enough, roaches do not like being above 6,000 feet. Like if like they are not above that elevation. And so I, I responded and I asked the guest for a video of the cockroach moving, never replied. And hmm. I ended up reading that there was a whole string of scams. Uh, this was a couple of years back that people were bringing in like fake bugs, fake like pests or whatever, oh and photographing them. And I, to this day, I really do believe that that's what happened because I could 
not find that roaches lived in that elevation. And the fact it was sitting on the counter was so weird to me too, because roaches are always like in the corner behind the fridge or something, or when you open the furnace door, not out on the countertop. Um, so yeah, I think it was a fake roach that they tried to get some sort of refund. So sometimes I agree with you. It is good to just thank the guests for being cooperative and give them that refund. But sometimes you might want to do your, like, do your homework a little bit and see, because there are some scammers out there. That is crazy. I, you know, mm -hmm. I think we've been fortunate we haven't had too many scammers or people yeah. who we think have scammed us. Um, one of the, I, a piece of advice I want to throw in there also, maybe you'll agree with this. Um, we try to charge a high enough rate yeah. right, to weed out some folks that might be less desirable guests. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing. I basically have a price in mind that I say, like, I will not go below this, even if it's low season and a weekday, um, I, I won't go below this pricing. Yeah, I think that's a good idea to like run your numbers and see what you really are not willing to go below. And maybe you could test that price out with a couple guests and see if they happen to be worse quality than like raise the pricing even more. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's true that pricing does weed out like the, the worst guests, unfortunately. Let me throw a couple quick things out there about your reels and then we'll we'll start to wrap it up with our final wrap up and then we could okay. uh, you know tell everyone where you could find you. I actually took notes on a couple of your, your reels. I want to just mention you had eight things to include in your Airbnb manual and these are fantastic pieces of advice. Property address, fire department of poison control, 24/7 contact info, house rules. Mm -hmm. I always call my house rules I call it helpful info. Like I feel like it's more Yeah, helpful. that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Check out instructions, how to restart the router. Yeah. Yes. Put that one. That's big. I actually ended up putting like colored labels on my mm -hmm. whole Wi-Fi setup too. And it's like the red one goes to the modem, the green one goes to the router. Um, cause so, so many people just have no idea, or maybe they only know their specific setup at home. So then if I'm talking to them on the phone, it's like, instead of describing identical black cords, it's like, no, grab the one with the red label, unplug that first, wait five seconds, wait for the blue blinking. Yeah. Think, think of how you might have to walk somebody through that on the phone. Um, ideally if the instructions are clear enough in the house manual, you won't ever have to take that phone call, but, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, plan that stuff ahead of time. That is smart advice. We don't even do that. I should do that. Um, you mentioned your your photo and story. That's great because it humanizes it and it, it reminds them that they're staying in your place. Yeah, one thing here I'll say too. Um, I I don't like when people, a lot of hosts do this, but I think it happens with newer hosts more so. They get like imposter syndrome or something and a lot of brand new hosts will put like a logo that they make and instead of their name, they'll put like a logo as their profile picture and instead of their name, they'll put something like, I don't know, uh, you know, something vacation company or whatever. Um, but put put your face, put your smiling face, looking head on at the camera, or if you host it with someone else, put the two of you and put your name because that's the whole edge of Airbnb over a hotel is that it's not this evil corporate giant that's behind it. There's a human face who put thought and love into the house. And I think that guests do treat the place better when they see that there's a human behind it. Yeah. We make it clear that we use the places also ourselves. Yeah, you know, that's on good. Occasion. Um, I, I make it clear that in, at least in the case of New Hampshire, our neighbors are cleaner. So the mm -hmm. eyes are on the place and that his parents are down the street just in case there's anything that goes wrong, you know, yeah. reach out to them. But there's, you know, it's just to remind people, hey, listen, like, you know, you're staying in our place. Like we're, yeah. we're welcoming you to the place, but like, don't trash it. Other people live here year round. Right? Yeah, I love that. All those little reminders are like so good. 
I love some of your pet peeves, you know, like you, <laughs> you apparently, since you're in California, do you have a lot of influencers asking to stay in your place for free? Yeah. Yeah. You do not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. I won't say like a lot, a lot, but we do. I do have a lot of people that are like from LA or something and it's like, oh, we're coming up this weekend and loved your place. Just so you know, I have 10,000 followers and uh, was wondering if we could like do a stay in exchange for exposure. And I don't know if you read the caption on that one, but I actually am not opposed outright but I am very clear that it would, it's a business transaction and I want to see in, I'm not just going to give you the stay for free, but if you can provide me with like a branding kit that has follower demographics, and I know that they're close enough to where they could feasibly make the trip and, you know, how many, whatever swipe ups you get on your listing. Um, but nobody has ever provided the information in return. I think they think they're just going to get the free stay. I'll be impressed by the follower count. That's the smart business person in you and the <laughs> marketer in you. So you are using your degree, right? There we go. Um, sketchy vibes. You know, like yeah. I feel the sketchy vibes too. You had a fun uh, video about that. You know, I know it says four people, but can I bring eight? Like, yeah, I get that also. <laughs> it's like, no, you're not going to be eight. And it's you know, we- like so funny because you're not going to be comfortable with eight. Find a place that yeah. fits eight people. Why are you trying to cram it? You know, I know it's to save a few bucks, but you're on vacation. You also want to enjoy it. So right, right. Waive the cleaning fee. Like you had a funny response to that. It was like, sure, we'll leave it dirty from the last guests. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then do you get the Venmo comment a lot? Like we every so often get people that want to transact off platform and yeah. we, you know, I know it's against the terms of service for Airbnb. So we, I kind of cite that. Yeah. Um, but do you get people asking you that question frequently? I do not. I won't say frequently, um, but it does happen. Maybe not outright Venmo, but a lot of people just say like, oh, here's my number. Can you call me? And uh, I have some questions about the rental, something like that. And that stuff makes me think that they're trying to somehow take it off platform. Um, but that's that's always a red flag too. Like even, you know, even if you really do want to save on those Airbnb service fees, it's, I think that the value that Airbnb or VRBO or whoever you're with provides and just the backup that they can, you know, protect you with their host guarantee program, or if there is any damage um, that they have your back, I, I would not take, I would not sacrifice that 3% cut of the host uh, hosting fee, uh, especially not on maybe, I mean, we talked about earlier renting to friends through the platform, maybe for a friend I would, but definitely not to a stranger that's just reaching out uh, with no prior reviews or anything. We definitely don't do that. Every first transaction we do is always through a platform, yeah. um, unless it's a recommendation from a local neighbor or a friend or family. We've done some um, repeat guests like on the platform. Yeah, I think that that's a fine idea, yeah. If you have a good feel for them and if you've hosted before, then sure. If you want to take the arrangement after that off platform and come up with your own way to repeat the bookings, sure. But definitely that first one, I would not even think about taking it off platform. Right. I feel like I talk forever with you, but you know, you're very busy also and as, as are we, but I want to start to get to our final wrap up, which we do ask the same three questions of all of our guests. I didn't even tell you what these questions are in advance, but they're really easy questions. So, okay. you know, I'm, I'm going to spring upon you and then, and then you could tell everybody about your course and tell everyone how they can get a hold of you. But the first question okay. is if you had to speak on one subject, 30 minutes with zero preparation, what would it be? I mean, Airbnb. <laughs> For what sure. else besides Airbnb? Like, oh, like besides some- Airbnb. 
could definitely talk to somebody about The Bachelor. That is my guilty pleasure. And I could go. go all in depth on my theories about producer manipulation and have a field day with that topic. That's our third question also, which is what are you watching, reading, or listening to these days? So let's we'll put The Bachelor on that list. Is that it? <laughs> Not even The Bachelorette? Bachelorette too. And Bachelor in Paradise is my number one favorite. <laughs> okay. Rory and I don't really do that. We, we do a lot of Coco Melon. Oh, I'm not there yet. I have a 10 month old. So I'm, we're trying to like no screens until 18 months. So we'll see. I'll get to the Cocomelon phase by next summer. Enjoy it. Well, enjoy this screen free time while it lasts. <laughs> yeah, you're such a better parent than us. Like if we're just busy, we're like, okay, go watch Cocomelon. Go watch. Elsa, you know, I you almost know? wish I could sometimes put her in front of the TV. It's not even me trying to be like this, like fantastic parent, but she's I think she's still too young to where she looks at the screen for 10 seconds and then just gets bored. Like she's not comprehending it. So yeah, but probably by next summer, that's going to be the go-to when I'm on a phone call or with a guest or something like you go in front of the TV. Here we are. There are some hysterical reels about Cocomelon about like, songs <laughs> just infect your brain. So I know the one about peas like that one I hear <laughs> everywhere. Yep. I've seen that one too. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the second question uh, as part of the final wrap up, which is the final question actually is tell us something that happened early on in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Oh, um, okay. In my life or career or school. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I feel like I could have a good answer to this. Okay. I should have prepped you this. I, we just, we were just chatting beforehand. I didn't prep you. With this. No, I like this question a lot. Okay. 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 Something that prepped me in my early life or career. Wait, can you read it one more time? That prepped sure. me for tell us, tell us something that happened early on in your life or career or school that impacts the way that you're working today. Okay. I would say, well, one thing I think like from a very, probably from like second grade or something, I knew that I was like very interested in a lot of different things. Like I already was like decorating my room and being very um, like into like design, I guess. And always like the way I played when I was younger was like playing house or playing like fake hotel. And I feel like I was almost setting myself up for this without even knowing it. Um, so I do think that just like my interest from like a young age kind of led to Airbnb. And what's so cool about it is that there's, it combines like for people who are like multi-passionate about their out there, I really feel like Airbnb combines everything, the, the numbers and the analytics side, the hospitality side, um, you know, the design guest communication. If you're a people person, even if you're introverted, it's all over the phone. So there's no like face-to-face -face confrontation. So I just feel like that's, that's kind of a general response, but probably that really like, I think just kind of set me up for this path. But I will say too, um, like something more specific was probably that first winter that we were renting, I made so many mistakes then. Um, we were so scared to hire a cleaner, me and my mom, that we were driving the two hours between every guest to do the cleaning. And like I said, we had that one guest who stole the toilet paper and stuff and we didn't have anything locked. And I think that there were just so many mistakes made early on that it forced us to start looking at it like a business and set these systems up that when I look back, I'm so grateful that all of it happened early on and we kind of cleaned up our act and now it's so systemized and we are just able to add on units pretty easily and, and scale it up from there. 
Yeah, that's such amazing advice. I think that mistakes are going to happen if you're listening to this, just trying to figure out how to get into Airbnbs. We made mistakes along the way. I mean, like our third rental, I had a pipe freeze and break and water was <gasps> everywhere. And Handyman Rory and I fixed the place back up in six weeks, but it was a nightmare. It was like, this is my third rental. Like, what am I doing? Have you put in a water recirculating pump or do you know what those are? No, tell us. They are great. And now we have one in every single unit. Um, it basically, you might need a plumber to install it. They say that you can install it yourself. So Rory, if you're handy, maybe <laughs> you can save some money here. But somehow you like attach it somewhere in your in your pipes or something. And um, all it does is move the water constantly through. So even if you don't have like a faucet running, it just keeps all of the water recirculating through the pipe system. And um, the idea is that it's not going to freeze if it's like constant movement. So, I mean, it uses a little bit of electricity, but it's like nothing on the bill. Um, but we put one in every unit now because we're in a snowy area. And because yeah. uh, I know a lot of places like in winter um, uh, mountain areas, they will make the guests like turn off the water or something between bookings. But if you have the water recirculating pump, you do not have to worry. It will just run on its own. Um, yeah. So look into one of those. Those those are great. Put that down on my to-do list. That There you go. <laughs> Fantastic advice. We we had the complete opposite failed advice, which was we stayed there for New Year's that year, you know, and then it was we had some rentals coming up and I noticed that a pipe froze. Like our friends were at oh the place gosh. and like it was cold outside. I'm like, "Hey, Rory, this pipe is frozen like in the bathroom. I've never had a frozen pipe before." So, you know, we kind of looked up what to do and, you know, we took a hair dryer and dried it beneath it yeah. and the water kind of came out and we're like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. Like, oh, I guess we'll just leave it on a drip. So we left it on a drip for a while and we encouraged our first couple of guests to leave it on a drip. Of course, you know, one of those sets of guests forgot to do that and then yeah. they burst. And once we cut into the wall and saw what was going on, we noticed that this had happened before and just wasn't disclosed by the previous mm. owners. And um, and we fixed it. We made the, the pipes mm. in, inside an interior wall. We insulated them. Um, That's good. Yeah, yeah, I think that your solution would have solved that. And yeah. Another piece of advice also is like, if you see a problem, fix it. Like, yes. don't just let the problem persist. Like, it's not going to go away. Yeah, so yeah. Rory, don't let those I, things fester. Rory was on the roof yesterday, like you know, caulking a skylight, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's why I went to law school. But yeah, I was up in the, I was talking a skylight um, yesterday, um, figuring that out just because we noticed the skylight was dripping from the, you know, the first couple of weekends we owned the place. So we had to tackle that before we just let that become a problem. Be grateful for those things and like, be happy you caught it now when you did before it, you know, leaked and destroyed all the siding or something. I, mm -hmm. that's another piece of advice too, is I always try when, when these like flaws and breakages do come up is like, just, I don't know, have like the mindset that it's like, okay, I'm really glad I caught it now when I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause those things pop up, but just embrace it and fix it as soon as you can. <laughs> Excellent advice. You're, you're filled with it, Natalie. And we want to make sure that everyone knows to take your class. If this is released, this will be out after this class is over, but then yeah. more coming up. There will be another round for sure. I don't know the exact dates, but if you um, get like on my email newsletter or find me on Instagram, I will promote it there when the, when the time comes. So your website is hostwithnatalie.com, right? Yes, yes. Your Instagram, is it is it underscore Natalie Palmer or two underscores? Two underscores. And one day, maybe I will convince the full Natalie Palmer to like sell me her username. But for now, it's two underscores Natalie Palmer. And maybe you can at least convince the one underscore Natalie Yeah, Palmer. maybe I can so at least get that one. <laughs> move up from there. Host with Natalie is the name of the company. And this is Natalie Palmer. Uh, she's a fantastic resource for... Airbnb, all things short-term rentals. 
And, you know, we, we strongly encourage you, if you're listening to this, go sign up with her uh, on her newsletter and follow her on Instagram. Uh, you have like almost 10,000 followers. I'm sure that they are all hard-earned followers that have been watching your reels just like we did. So, <laughs> Thank you guys so much for reaching out to have me. It was really fun and I'm, I'm honored and hope to connect with um, some of your audience after this goes out. Yes, you definitely will. Uh, thank you so much for being on the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Rory, thank you for jumping in with not much legal advice today, but a lot of handyman advice, which is great. <laughs> um, and, and if you're listening to this, if you want to drop us a comment or a review or a thumbs up, uh, we appreciate all those things. It certainly helps the reach on podcasts like this. So uh, once again, my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.